RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Jim DeVico. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 360 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, March 27th, 2018, and available for download or streaming on Friday, March 30th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. All right, Kenna, we've got a lot to cover this week. Why don't you tell us what we've got? Well, we're trekking out the massive Star Trek Discovery panel from WonderCon. Simon Pegg talks about Star Trek Beyond and Beyond. And that CBS Viacom merger heats up again. In gaming news, we're catching up on the latest of what the gaming world has to offer. And later, we're joined by Star Trek Online lead designer Al Captain Gecko Rivera to talk about Expansion 4, Victory is Life. And of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. And Captains, those hailing frequencies are always open, and you know we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, and Twitter at Priority One Pod. And if you're old-fashioned, you can even send an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, this is the part of the show where we take a moment to thank all of our patrons who graciously support us each and every month over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Now, for those of you that may not be aware, we have a whole different show over at patreon.com. At our $10 level, we record on screen. And whilst Star Trek Discovery is off air, we're talking about the Orville. So if you're interested in our opinions and reviews of the Orville, head on over to Patreon.com and find out how you can support. Of course, there are other ways that you can contribute to Priority One Podcast. For instance, share the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook. And when we post the announcement of the show on Fridays, hit that share button, hit that like button, and tell your friends that they can get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news right here on Priority One. Now, before we move on, we have to give a big shout out to a new patron that came on this month, Tony D'Amato. Thank you for your ongoing support. Now, Patreon and sharing the show isn't the only way that you can help support Priority One. And we've got a major announcement. Not only are we still looking for assistance with audio editing, but we're also looking for another voice to join the cast of Priority One. If you're an avid gamer that dabbles in all things Star Trek, you might be just the person we're looking for. We're holding auditions now, so if you're interested, we've got a handy form on our website, or just email us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. 
Last week, we sort of reported on a possible could-be hashtag Star Trek and Tino script that may or may not be rated R, according to Star Trek Beyond scribe and star Simon Pegg. This week, Pegg sat down with GeekExchange.com and let slip that the potentially plausible possibility of a Tarantino script isn't the only prospective treatment of a could-be Star Trek 4. Pegg tells Geek Exchange, quote, There's a script that's been written, and there's also the story of Quentin Tarantino coming in and chatting with JJ about an idea that he's had for a long time. That idea is going into the writer's room to be looked at, end quote. While most of the quote is, again, just speculation, Simon Pegg does indicate there is a script already written. Could this be a treatment by the Star Trek Beyond writing duo Simon Pegg and Doug Young? Back in 2016, they tweeted a cryptic photo of the pair at their laptops, so maybe. Speaking of Star Trek Beyond, Mr. Pegg also speculated about the reasons for the film's poor box office showing. He said, quote, I think it was poorly marketed, to be honest. If you look at a film like Suicide Squad that was around for such a long time before it finally came out and people were so aware of it, whereas with Star Trek Beyond, it was left too late before they started their marketing push, end quote. He continues, quote, They also made the film look like a boneheaded action film, and they were scared, I think, of mentioning the 50th anniversary. It was fumbled as a thing, they didn't know what to do with it, and it's a real shame. But I came away from it really, really happy and very proud of it, end quote. It was the first trailer, the motorcycle chase. It doomed well, it. Well, it was all the trailers. I think he's, it, what's funny is that, um, I mean, okay, we're going back a couple years here, but I yeah. think he summed up what a lot of us Star Trek fans had criticized the marketing for at the time, which was they're trying to push Star Trek as an action film, which is okay, fine, but Star Trek is not generally considered to be an action franchise. I mean, I think that the 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 JJ verse Kelvin Universe timeline films have made it more action-y and it has and Star Trek Discovery has as well, but it is not at its core an action franchise. I think that the entire JJ verse film series has been mishandled in terms of its marketing. I mean, from beginning to end, um, personally, I thought beyond felt the most Trek. I agree. And yet, you know, they spoiled trailers. They spoiled the, you know, the, the plot oh, twist. Yeah, I remember that. Through these, yeah, through these trailers. I mean, they just, they, just, they, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. And it, it, that's, I think, what ruined the film in terms of its yeah. success. Because I, I, for me personally, Beyond felt the most Trek. Which makes this a little more interesting because if Peg and Young have already written something and along comes Tarantino, I will guarantee you that they're going to screw up a Peg Young Star Trek marketing just as bad as they did Beyond. But if you have a Tarantino film, it's Everybody knows how to market one of those. I mean, every Tarantino, it's just you, it's a Tarantino film. So I mean, it, it's like you may take a bigger risk on not being a t to tell a story that's quite as Trek as as maybe Simon Pegg would have put together, but at least you're not gonna foul up the salesmanship part of it. That that one has a much clearer path. I don't know. I uh, Here's the thing for me about Simon Pegg, and um, I don't know as much about Doug Young, but I know about Simon Pegg because I've been watching his films for years. Not only is he a talented actor and he's a very gifted screenwriter, he's a dude that gets the job done. You know, he turns oh, yeah. in a solid script. He knows how to, you know, it's that whole um, talent versus skill thing. He's very talented. He's also extremely skilled. And 
if you want somebody to deliver a solid script on time, you're going to give it to Simon Pegg. He'll he'll deliver it. But um, anyway, at the end of the day, it sounds like there's less certainty about this Tarantino script and also that there's potential other things that are already being bandied around. So (sighs) this is the same discussion we had last week. Should we even be speculating on it? Speaking of not knowing what to do with a major franchise, (laughs) hey, CBS and Viacom are in merger talks again. If you've been listening to Priority One, you already know that. Uh, Over the last few weeks, we've reported talks have been increasing in intensity over the last month. And again, uh, the intensity intensifies. Uh, So from Variety, quote, Board members from CBS Corp and Viacom are expected to meet as soon as next week to begin discussions on the valuations of both companies for a possible merger. Executives of both media companies have been hip-deep in crunching numbers and preparing financial data to guide the discussions between the members of the special committees assembled to consider options for a CBS-Viacom reunion. The deal is expected to be structured as an all-stock transaction, with CBS as the acquiring entity, and CBS Corp. CEO Leslie Moonves leading the combined entity. The valuation of Viacom is seen as the biggest hurdle that the sides will have to navigate. End quote. For a more in-depth breakdown of the dollars and cents involved, check out these show notes. Personally, given the choice of the two, I would rather it be under CBS. As much as it pains me to admit it, um, they did, they were, they got, they got Star Trek Discovery made, Star Trek back on television after... 10 years and um and it was a success i i would trust them more than paramount now speaking of star trek discovery the weekend of march 23rd brought with it wondercon in anaheim california wondercon comic-con's sister show highlights all of geek culture from comics to movies to tv and more as would be expected star trek discovery had a presence at the international convention What may not have been expected is the insight and potential spoilers the producers revealed. In a panel titled The Making of Star Trek Discovery, moderated by Laurel actress Mary Chifo, producers and leads took to the stage to answer questions from Chifo and later the audience. The panel included executive producer Gretchen J. Berg and Aaron Harberts, prop master Mario Moriera, costume designer Gersha Phillips, special effects makeup and head of Alchemy Studios Glenn Hetrick, special effects makeup and prosthetic department head James McKinnon, production designer Tamara Deverell, composer Jeff Russo, and visual effects supervisor Jason Zimmerman. Following the onstage portion, the panelists went backstage for small roundtable discussions with various websites. Bleedingcool.com was gracious enough to share the videos on their website, which, of course, will be in our show notes. Among the topics discussed in both the panel and roundtable portions were day-to-day operations, design process, collaborations, and a few surprises. The structured questions held a lot of meat and potatoes, but the real prize was in the Q&A. Now, during the audience Q&A, Hetrick was asked about the inspiration of Klingon design, to which he replied, quote, So what we did was we sort of started dissecting through the lens of canon. What is the species? What is their DNA? And it's sort of this cross between reptilian and avian. And once we struck upon that concept, as with all of our aliens, the evolutionary imperative drives our decisions. Every single thing has to be for a reason. It can't just be there because it looks cool. 
So that's really how it started. Both Neville and myself are huge Geiger fans and Alien fans. You can see a lot of sort of Geigery type designs on top of all the traditional form, but there's still much to be seen, and the Klingon Empire is vast, and there's so many things I want to tell you that I can't. End quote. Hetrick continued in the roundtable discussion, quote, For the Klingon houses, I've created culture axiom documentation for all the great houses. That doesn't mean it will be written into the show, but we're trying to make all the houses feel like their own unique thing, because why wouldn't they be? End quote. Another question revolved around the Enterprise redesign. Production designer Tamara Deverell responded, quote, We based it initially off of the original series, and then we rejiggered it a bit to be more of the Star Trek movies, which is a little bit fatter and a little bigger overall. I think we expanded the length of it to be within our world of the Discovery, which is bigger. So we did cheat it as a larger ship, end quote. When asked about bringing Discovery more in line with established canon in regards to uniforms and designs, Gretchen Berg asked, quote, do I want to answer that? End quote. She decided to elaborate, if only a little, quote, we are in the same timeline, right? So we're in the prime universe and we're pretty close to when TOS happened, so, end quote. Aaron Harberts jumped in and said, quote, well, we bump up against the Enterprise at the end of our finale and we know what kind of uniforms they wear, so we'll leave it at that, end quote. In response to a question about more LGBTQ representation, Aaron Harbert said, quote, You know, you may well be already watching one and you don't know it. As a gay man, and what's very important to me about presenting gay characters, is that they always lead with their competence and their character first, and not with sexuality. You may already have a window into a relationship, and you just don't know it. End quote. During the roundtable, Berg and Harbert hit some season two bullet points. Point one, Prime Lorca. Berg said, quote, So far, discussion on that particular thing has not come up, but that doesn't mean it won't come up still, and it won't come up in the future. End quote. Harbert's interjected, quote, I think our characters are having a little bit of a Lorca hangover. End quote. On to point two, a more in-depth background examination into Burnham, specifically with regards to the Vulcan bombing. Point three, more bridge crew development from Berg, quote, on a show like this and where teamwork is so important, they can't be sort of just human props. They're part of the DNA of how the ship works, end quote. Point three, point one, specifically, we're going to learn more about Commander Arium, the augmented astronaut. Berg says, quote, she is a person we will learn a little bit more about this year, end quote. And finally, point four, a mid-April start date for filming was also confirmed. The big reveal, though, was the two-and-a-half-minute teaser for Season 2. If you haven't seen it, it features Mirror Georgiou and what looks like a sketchy Bart. She's met by a not-so-trill-trill who turns out to be a human and a member of Section 31. The Black Badge, seen in Episode 3, is left for the Mirror Emperor and we are meant to believe she will join them. There was a lot to cover in the one-hour panel and the additional hour or so of after-panel interviews, and we can't cover it all, although it feels like we did. <laughs> so be sure to check out the show notes for those links to watch them yourself. Can we just talk for a little bit about that extra scene, though? Uh, we have to. There's think, no way that we can continue on <laughs> with Trek It Out to, without yes. talking about that teaser. So I didn't hate it. I agree. I disagree. I want the guy's cool, turny, on-y-off-y tattoo things. 
That was cool. I have questions. I thought the spots went under the hair and his like stopped at the hairline. That took me out of it, which is such a... Well, George, you spotted it, obviously. You know I'm a Star Trek fan because... No, no, no. Hold on a second. It's not like they stop at your uniform. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) We're completely forgetting about the first time the Triller introduced in TNG where they have Spoon Forehead. Everybody forgets about that Trill that, that, that Beverly Crusher falls in love with. They have ridges. Oh. Trill have ridges in that episode. I do forget about I did forget about that. I'm sorry. I forgot about so that. So we can't we can't get all up in arms about the spots stopping at the hairline when <laughs> when the Trill have experienced some form of de spoon foredification. Forget forget about being mad about the Geiger Klingons. We gotta be mad about that. Yeah. We yeah. should we should be. You know what I'm really curious about is why they did release this scene. Me too. Okay, so Josh Truax, in the chat as we're recording this, he says that DSC clip wasn't so much of a deleted scene as the equivalent of a post-credit scene at the end of a movie, which I agree. It's 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 a post-credit scene, yes, which is yes, more yes. like an epilogue. It's more of an ending than a beginning. So I think it's probably going to end up being a, a slowly churning background plot thing that's going to happen. Plus, it's it's fan service, isn't it? It's it's getting fans excited because we all thought it was going to be Section Thirty One because it's NCC Ten Thirty One and all that, um, and of course it turned out to not be. So I think it's 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 a bit of fun. It's it's to get people excited, and also I think it caps off Giorgio a little bit, allows them to explore some new stories, but then there's potential to kind of bring that back as a rolling B plot. Now we have quite a ways before we see season two of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. At least we have an answer to what those black badges were, in fact. And it's I mean, the wrong answer, and it's stupid. Uh, I don't... I'm going to get into a whole other discussion. A we have to, because discussion. it's season three, they walk by, hey, I've never seen those black badges before, and we don't see them ever again until we get this little scene here. And yeah, then we find out go? it's a Section 31 badge, which means that Section 31 has been on Discovery the entire time. Or they yeah, were every, only but there, but like in plain sight. In like, plain I'm sight, knocked my glasses off. If you're it's a secret, in plain sight, they just stood there. But then they disappeared because then they weren't there for the whole rest of the season. If you're a secret organization, you don't have a badge. <laughs> if you're a secret agent, you don't wear a friggin' uniform with a. I'm a member of the secret organization. I got a badge and everything. Although, hey, although you don't although, have a black badge, I do. Now, Tony, as a counter-argument, I don't know if you ever saw, I think it's Once Upon a Time in the West, or one of the sequels, uh, Johnny Depp plays an FBI agent in Mexico, and he walks around the whole time with a big FBI shirt, because everybody's like, you'd never believe that a, an actual FBI agent would walk around with an FBI shirt. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like the double reverse psychology thing. Okay, sure, exactly. that's fine. Yeah, Except... The convicts noticed it, right? I mean, it, it's not even... It's like the, the the guys who are in jail forever. Like, I've never seen a black badge before. Look at there. Those are new and interesting. Look at that. No, no. This is... That was... No. Just no. If you're... You don't need a membership card if you're in Section 31. You already have... You've got the secret subspace channel. You've got the knock... The secret knock on the door and the secret handshake. You don't need a badge. Well, I think that leads us to our first community question this week. What did you think of the deleted scene and the reveal that Section 31 is playing a role in Star Trek Discovery? Leave your comments in the comment section of this episode at priority1podcast.com forward slash PO 360 
or reply on social media when we post it on Facebook and Twitter. Now, finally, some really great news this week. We wanted to take a quick moment to send our congratulations and best wishes to Terry Farrell and Adam Nimoy. The pair were married on March 26th among family and friends. And it should be noted that March 26th was also the birthday of Adam Nimoy's father, Leonard Nimoy. From all of us at Priority One, congratulations. That's all for this week's Star Trek news. Now let's find out what happened this week in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. A new story blog has been posted, this time featuring the Zenkethi Nethpar, written by content designer Tiff Wobles Chu. It tells the tale of the CSS Steadfast and its pursuer, the previously mentioned Nethpar. As is always the case with lore blogs, this is well worth a read. For a link, check it out in the show notes. A new featured episode, The Renegade's Regret, has been announced, featuring a new game mode. You'll play as Captain Nethpar on the ground and fly the Coalition warship Steadfast in space. As with many featured episodes, players level 10 or higher can participate for a limited time. No start date for the featured episode has been given, but stay tuned to Priority One for more information. The Constable, a new secondary specialization, has been announced as well. The Constable's specialization, unlike other secondary specializations, will not only affect space or ground skills, but instead every ability will have an effect on both space and ground skills. It will utilize the antagonist mechanic, which requires you to target an enemy for four seconds, marking that enemy as your antagonist. Once an antagonist is marked, Constable skills will make you more effective in combat versus that opponent. For more information on the Constable secondary specialization, including its starship trait and abilities, check out the show notes. And beginning April 3rd, just in time for Season 14.5, players will once again have the opportunity to collect the popular Infinity Box. But it may not be what you're used to. The approximately two-year-old box is getting a facelift, or to be more accurate, a prize restructuring. Starting on April 3rd, Tier 6 and ultra-rare Tier 6 ship boxes will be combined into a single pack. Tier 5 ship and secondary ship boxes will be combined into a single pack. And all Tier 6 faction-specific ships will be contained within a tradable secondary pack, which opens into the correct ship based on the person opening it. Along with these changes, players will also have the opportunity to collect the new Tier 6 Zenkethi Shukdin Escort, the new Tier 5 Lucari Nakam Scout Ship, and the upgraded Tier 6 Temporal Science Vessels. For more information on the restructuring, new and updated ships, and other goodies in the updated locks box, head over to our show notes and check it out. And lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online and gaming news, here are some events that are happening as we speak. Between Thursday, March 29th, and Monday, April 2nd, players can get a 50% bonus marks reward by teaming up and slamming the door shut on a possible Elachi invasion. And that's it for Star Trek Online news this week. Now, it's time to invite Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, onto the bridge. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization, Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. 
And captains, we are pleased to welcome back to the show Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, to talk about the latest expansion coming to Star Trek Online in June, titled Victory is Life. The blog post was, of course, scarce, uh, as it was the initial announcement, so hopefully we can get into some detail about what we can look forward to with this coming expansion. Al, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Priority One. Uh, thanks for having me. So, let's let's just dive right in. Um, Tusk, Tuscan38 on Reddit was actually curious about the genesis of this expansion. Uh, for instance, why the Herc? Um, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, hi, Tuscan38. Um, how are you? Um, so, it, uh, anyone fans of Star Trek Online knows that love to tell stories that are loose threads or things that haven't been explored fully from the TV shows, um, like the Iconians or um, like the Zinkethi or like uh, the Blue Gale Parasites from, from Contagion, things that we see on the show we want to learn a little bit of, I mean, can you go on and on, right? The Shroomies from Enterprise or the uh, Solanae-based life forms from, from TNG. These are all things that are like, wow, what was that all about? And we've heard about the Herc multiple times. We, what we know from the Herc is that they, um, about a thousand years ago, they attacked the Klingon Empire. They're the only uh, civilization, only force that ever defeated the Klingons. We know that Kalos fought them, and they took the sword of Kalos because we saw that in the uh, episode Kalos in Deep Space Nine. So we know that. Kor, Dwarf, and Jedzia went into a cave that was uh, some sort of Herc cave ruins kind of thing, and there was a sort of Kalos. That was a great story. So, like, what was that all about? What there, uh, a previous video game had them, a book by J.G. Hertzler wrote a book about them, and um, that's exactly the kind of thing we love to pick up for uh, for Star Trek Online. And when we, we knew we were going to do a Deep Space Nine Gamma Quadrant expansion at some point, um, and when we decided you know that this was going to be it what did we want it to be and we could have easily turned this into well you're going here and this is just a another dominion war i didn't feel like we really wanted to tell that story again we already had a dominion war on the show and we already had a, a story arc against the dominion in uh, in star trek online and one of the reasons we went to Delta Quadrant first was because there were so many civilizations and so many things that we learned in the Delta Quadrant and Voyager, but we really don't learn that much about the Gamma Quadrant in Deep Space Nine. We know about, we learn about the Dosi and the Karema and a couple little races, but all of them are just under the thumb of the Dominion, right? There's no, there's no forces out there except the Herc. So they're the only other bad guys that we really know about that, uh, or heard anything about that could be, you know, an antagonist for the player, uh, an interesting storyline. And there's so much mystery there steeped into Klingon mythology that it seemed like an obvious choice. There's a growing shorter and shorter list of, uh, of enemies like this that we want to, you know, foes or, or mysteries that we want to, to show on Star Trek Online. Herc has always been, been one of them. Kathy was another one, and Icons was the other one from the beginning. So, um, yeah. I'm very excited to bring these bring these to life. So let's uh, let's start off by talking about the announced Jem'Hadar faction. So not only is it a new playable faction, but it's also going to start you off at level 60. Uh, and that's left a lot of players like our patron Shane Hoover asking a lot of questions. So can you explain a little bit more about that? Um, are there going to be other species available to play in addition to Jem'Hadar itself? I caught your show 
last week, so I heard some of the questions and speculations that you brought up um, about this. Um, yeah, this is this is a good topic to talk about. First of all, we're starting as a Jem'Hadar level 60 because um, we want to try something new, right? Every time we make an expansion, we do something new. We have a uh, usually some sort of new faction or sub-faction. Uh, you start off, you know, whether or not it's... Uh, it's an end game or if it's new player or whatever so this was something that we hadn't done before so um, we uh, it didn't seem to make sense for Jem'Hadar to start at level one um, and we thought this would be a nice a nice option so people didn't have to start all the way from the beginning again necessarily so we wanted we just like to try different things and see how players will like this um, this this new option here as a level 60 character um you're not going to be just level 60 and then have you know a set of white mark you know 10 gear or something you're going to be you're going to be fairly equipped right you'll have your right. skills redone you'll have some reps already done for you you'll have some specializations done for you you'll be what you know you'll be a decent level 60 you'll have you'll have you know you'll have mark 12 or or higher uh, maybe some Mark 13s and 14s. I don't know. Um, uh, gear items and you know good uh, varying qualities of you know purples and blues. So you'll have you'll be a real character, right? You won't be uh, you won't be um, you know have you'll have duty officers and you'll have you know bridge officers. So you'll be ready to go. Character be ready to go. Um, yeah. So um, and. Um, as far as you know, other reasons why I mean, and, and like, will there be other species available? You know, that's a really good question. We actually, we you know, we 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 thought about it, and we're really telling a Jem'Hadar story here. Now, this is a story that everybody can play. Um, uh, as far as like your old characters will be able to play the missions here as well. There will be some missions that'll be just for Jem'Hadar, but uh, for instance, hey, can you play a Vorta? And it just never made sense, just the way the fiction works in, in Deep Space Nine. So it's like, can't you play a Vorta, you know, reporting to a, you know, a Jem'Hadar first um, and being a soldier? And it's, it's, once you see the story, you're going to see why it makes sense that this is just a Jem'Hadar story. Um, and that it wouldn't make sense to be playing a Karema or, or Dosi or something else on a Dominion ship. It doesn't make sense for the IP, for the fiction. Um, there will probably be other playable species available in this expansion, but, uh, but they won't necessarily be, they'll be playable for other factions, not for this Jem'Hadar faction. I won't say what those are, but I'll just leave that at that. So just to clarify, uh, is it is it definitely just going to be the one, or is it going to be limited the one what in with it one playable species within the Jem'Hadar faction there will be more than one type of Jem'Hadar oh, okay gotcha um, and how does uh, so I'm curious because you mentioned that you're going to start off at level 16 you're going to have your gear and have your stuff how does I know you can't reveal that much about the story and how we arrived there but how does that how does that fit in with the the rest of uh the player progression like how do you reconcile zapping into this fully formed character's body uh midway through his story almost well um from a story standpoint remember as a Jem'Hadar you're probably like seven years seven days old right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right all right fair enough you're an engineer soldier that is ready to go um yeah, I, I think it's I think it's literally something like a, a week old. The, the Jem'Hadar 
boy that was grew up on Deep Space Nine that Odo found as a baby, I think took a week to get to adulthood. So, mm. um, so you're 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 literally just maybe a few weeks old, um, probably a little bit more in this case because you know we always start you off as a captain in all our factions. So maybe you're a couple years old because I think a seven-year-old was considered an elder in in Jem'Hadar canon. So, um, so you're 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 fairly young and you're basically born with all the skills, right? You already have all the skills and all the things that uh, that you need to go. Um, so, you know, we're going to be picking up the story um, pretty much right around. You know, I won't say exactly when or exactly what happens, but right around what we just saw on the anniversary, right? The Dominion came in to save the day. Okay, and and Odo is there and says we need to talk. Okay, what was that about? What what led up to that, and where is that going to go? So we're just going to kind of pick it up right from there, and it's basically the Jem'Hadar's side of the story, right? You've been playing the Federation and the you know the Alpha the, the Alpha Quadrants, the, the, the Alliances side is fighting off, fighting with the Zinkethi and learning about the Herc and the, the Dranzuli attendants. And so what what has the uh, what has the what's been going on for the uh, for the Dominion that led up to this moment for them? And so you're a soldier in that army. You know, and you'll have inter, you know interactions obviously with Odo. As far as like other storylines in in Star Trek Online, the other the other the other missions, we're gonna you're gonna start with just this arc that everyone will have access to. But once you complete that you, as a Jem'Hadar player, you can go back and play all the old all the old missions as well. Um, so they'll you know technically play out of order, but you can just go ahead and go back and play them. But this this is its own self-contained arc. That's really telling that story. I have just one other hopefully relatively simple question about the Jem'Hadar. So I'm not as familiar with um, Deep Space Nine and with the Jem'Hadar. You, you, have, a, you have a little time to catch up. Can I? So I yeah. Got, <laughs> yeah, both, both of you. I'm working on it. <laughs> Um, can so my my perception of the Jem'Hadar from before was that they were just sort of a an engineered sort of like a slave race. So how 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 do you marry that back up with uh, your personal choice and being? (laughs) Yeah, because okay, because I get the liberated Borg playable Mm -hmm. character because there is liberated Borg, um, and I don't understand um, the Jem'Hadar. So could you give me just like uh, just a quick background on on the Jem'Hadar as a species and then and and where they're going with this expansion. Sure. Well, anybody who watches the show knows that I don't give quick answers to anything. So, but yeah, I will right. do my best to, <laughs> <laughs> to to answer the question as short as possible. But if you're a fan of D Space Nine, and shame on some of you who are not, um, that uh, the Jem'Hadar are more complex than what the founders would want everyone to believe. So yes, they are engineered soldiers that are genetically programmed to be obedient to the founders and to the Vorta. And the Vorta love rubbing the rubbing their nose in that and uh, their their nose in it about that. Um, but there have been many times where Jem'Hadar has killed their Vorta. They've even talked about it because they their their loyalty is not to the Vorta. Their loyalty is to the changelings, is to the founders. But um, they they don't do it because they have to, they do it because they want to. And perhaps because they have to, but they believe at least that they want to. But there have been there have been Jem'Hadar who have broken their addiction from the white. There have been Jem'Hadar who have gone rogue multiple times on Deep Space Nine. There was one set of Jem'Hadar that went rogue, a group of them, that found an Iconian gateway and killed their Vorta. And it was Cisco and the crew of the Defiant joined up with 
it might have been Wei Yun, and a, uh, a legion of Jem'Hadar soldiers came and says, we got to stop these guys because if they get this Iconian gateway technology, it's, it's, it's held to pay for everybody. And so it was Jem'Hadar versus Jem'Hadar, and, uh, with, the, with the crew of the Defiance um, fighting alongside Jem'Hadar soldiers to stop these rogue Jem'Hadar. There was a Jem'Hadar uh, soldier who broke his addiction from Ketcher So White and, was, and brought his, his crew to this planet because he was marooned on the planet and he thought maybe the planet made him, lost, uh, made him lose his addiction, his, his necessity to Jem'Hadar White, so he brought his people there. They never did, but he was trying to cure them. So there is a definite individuality within Jem'Hadar even though there is a genetic loyalty within there, um, many of them have been able to stray from that programming. Not often, but uh, they, they are not just, they're not just drones. Um, they are definitely sentient people that can make their own decisions. Sounds like there's a lot of potential for storytelling there. Absolutely, and, and we actually, it is something that we will be exploring in this story, is uh, the, the sense of self of a Jem'Hadar. I'm curious, just to bring it back a little bit to the Jemadar faction, uh, how will that faction interact, if at all, with the pre-existing factions in this expansion? Well, I'll leave it at this. If you play the anniversary and you know that the Jemadar, along with um, you know Odo and, and, and Loris, the, the Vorta, they show up and they, they help save Bajor from a Herc invasion. Odo says, we need to talk and basically... The start of this is we need to work together, and there's there's an alliance set up here that Odo saying this is a problem. We have a mutual problem, and we need to work together to solve this. And so it is it is alliance and dominion working together side by side. But it's not that simple, of course. With anything to dealing with the dominion, it's never that two dimensional. Right. But that is the basis of that. And you have a follow up. Will the Jem'Hadar faction work similar to the Romulan faction, where they will have to choose uh, which alliance to? Um, sure, ally? there's no need to be coy. That's a best, that's that's what will happen. Right. right? Okay. You will, you will come on board, and it's like it's, as opposed to the, the, the Romulans, where it's okay, who you know, who, which side we're going to basically live under. Right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of almost like because uh, they don't have an established government and established anything. There's like okay, we're gonna. It's, this is more of who I'm going to work with. Right. Another question that uh, a lot of people have been very, very curious about um, is, will there be a recruitment event like there was for Agents of Yesterday and, again, I believe for Delta Rising? Uh, yes, awesome. but a little different. Interesting. And I'm curious, would you do the same thing that you've done with Delta Rising, uh, where you ran an XP month prior to release? That was another question that we actually had come up from quite a few people. I don't think so. Right. Okay. We did that for Delta Rising because that was a content that started at level 60 and we wanted to get every player up to level 60 so they could participate in that content right away as opposed to someone who might have been lingering at 40. There, You can just make a Jem'Hadar and just you're already there's no reason to rush anybody to that level. So um, it's... a. Uh, you have a starting level Jem'Hadar that will start at 60, right. and everybody can play on day one. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, actually. So what you're saying is that um, a brand new player who's brand new to Star Trek Online could theoretically start a brand new Jem'Hadar at level 60? Um, we, we, uh, um, we have gone back and forth on that. Right. So I do not want to say one way or the other. 
but we okay. have gone back and forth on whether or not you must have a you know a high level character in order to unlock this or if you can just come right in and start and, and play just level 60 if you're a brand new player there are pros and cons to doing it both ways um, so I know which way we're leaning but it, since it hasn't been announced I'm, I'm just gonna I'm not gonna answer that question but we have gone back and forth on that. Right. now okay. you mentioned earlier that um, you're not gonna you know have a bunch of white equipment um, I know that there are probably players out there the min maxers wondering what your decision process is with the gear that you're giving captains at start at level 60. Um, I made Jeremy do it. It was a decision process. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, there are no, there's no, there's no C store gear. There's no rep gear. There's no named gear. So you'll still have things that you'll want to achieve for that character, but you'll have, you know, good algo style loot. Of, of weapons and, and shields and whatever, so no set items as far as I can recall. Um, but rep you mentioned reputations. You'll some. have reputations completed, but you'll still have, but you won't have any of the items from there to purchase. So you'll have the traits, and you'll have, you know, you'll have, you'll, you'll be ready to go, and you can just buy the stuff. But you're still going to have to play the play the cues and you know, earn the marks in order to buy any set gear that you may want. So, um, so we didn't we didn't give any of that. Um, so anything you had to earn like that, you still have to earn. But you're good to go with with a you know a set of like Mark 12 or 14 purples or something. All right. So you mentioned the cues. You know, having players even though reputations will be complete, players will still have to earn marks and 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 the specialty items needed to earn uh, that gear. Um, but you know, there's there's always that concern that older cues uh, may be difficult to play. Um, has there been any uh, where how far along are you on discussions in terms of incentivizing these old cues and uh, et cetera et cetera we're we're really close to having a um you know a, a, a i won't say a queue overhaul but an overhaul to the to the to the to the system itself so that way um, if you if you're a fan of neverwinter if you play neverwinter online they have a, a system where every time period, I don't remember if it's every day or every week or something, um, they pick five cues and those cues give you bonus uh, bonus rewards if you play those. So it concentrates everyone into those five uh, five cues that were picked randomly or from schedule. Um, so we might go with a system like that. Uh, other games have done a join a random queue of the day and if you decide to choose random it just puts you puts everybody into a random queue and you can get bonus rewards by just doing the random queue um, i think some form of one or both of those um, is something we're leaning towards it's maybe not in the uh, shake out exactly the way that works but the uh, the way they, ex they those other games currently work but um the goal is we got something like 130 queues in the game and um, a lot of them are really great um, and some people don't play some of them because either they've completed the reputation or it's not necessarily a good return on investment compared to another queue that gives a really good return on investment um, or it's just empty and people can't play it. So we want to make sure that every day, you know, we're always rotating something for a Romulan you know, a Ramian reputation, something for an Omega reputation, something for a Tholian reputation. Um, something is always rotating through. So someone who needs to complete their Tholian reputation, there will be something there, um, you know, every couple days for that rep that is giving incentives for everyone to come and play. Um, and uh, so that way people can see all stuff they haven't played before, play stuff they've forgotten about, how it's so amazing, and other people can complete their stuff. And, um, and there'll be incentives too, because 
it's really, really hard to balance AQ and uh, because we balance it a particular way and then sometimes it becomes too easy and sometimes it becomes too hard and it's we never know what the confluence of things do we balance it for time do we balance it for difficulty just the confluence of those so many factors it's only so much we can adjust and then in the end we can't just keep playing leapfrog where we make one give a little bit more incentives and then people play that more and then all of a sudden everything else falls behind so you get this kind of race where everything just keeps getting bigger and bigger as far as rewards so but we can just say you know what um, if I said everybody play this cue that nobody likes but I'll give you 500 marks for it everybody will play right. I'm not giving you 500 marks but I'm saying that we can incentivize people to play content um, and then as people are playing them we can get better data to see what might be wrong with some of those and then we can make improvements uh, along the way but basically most people play a handful of cues that are really really good or the or the most recent ones and so we want to make sure everyone's playing everything but that will come soon I don't think it's going to come with X4, but it'll probably come shortly after that. Oh, great, great. Fantastic. That's exciting. So let's talk about the announced six missions. Um, Overall, I think one of the biggest pieces of feedback was that by comparison, it seems a little short versus Agents of Yesterday or Delta Rising that had maybe about 10 10 or so missions. Is there something coming that maybe we don't know about? Um, These missions are far more involved than we've made before. Um, there, uh, a couple of them have some sophisticated gameplay that we haven't done before. Um, they're all really high quality. Um, we've got a new animator who is, um, um, if you saw the, the cutscene that was in, um, in the anniversary episode, that was just some of his early work, but he does this amazing, amazing different level of cutscenes. So the very heavy story, heavy, um, storytelling, heavy cutscene episodes. So we've spent a lot more time on each one of these episodes than we've had in the past, hence why there's a little bit less of them. We also have the battle, the new battle zone, which I don't think we've talked too much about, but it's not a regular battle zone that we've done before. It's a new style of gameplay that is more like a server-wide event kind of battle zone. And so it's something new that we're trying. I won't get into full details until we get there's a full blog about it. That's going to occupy a lot of people's time. Hopefully, hopefully people will enjoy that. And if it's popular, we'll you know, now we know how to do them. We can make more of them in the future. But it's 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 a uh, it's different than than just the giant open world, not giant open map that you've seen in the other battle zones. It's more of a quadrant level, you know, service, you know, shard wide events kind of battle zone. Al, there's a criticism that I've seen that they feel that perhaps the number of episodes has been impacted by. <laughs> the amount of money that you may or may not have spent on bringing in on-screen talent for voiceover. Is there anything that you can comment on that? I can tell you that that has absolutely nothing to do with it. If we spent a lot of money, and we did, on, on voice talent, we didn't fire anybody to make, to, to pay for those for those for those voice actors we still have you know we still have the same the same number of people working here over the same amount of time and so there wasn't like there that's no we basically what we did is we did some clever stuff where we we were able to split the costs over last year and this year for voice talent so we didn't see much voice talent last year comparatively speaking other than than LeVar Burton and so we recorded like some stuff last year and some stuff this year. So we were able to amortize that cost. But it was, yes, it was a costly endeavor to get that many voice actors. But of course not. That did not affect 
it's the same question again. Oh, they spent so much money on marketing. They could have been spending that in, in, in developing or they spent so much money. And why are you guys working on this effect when you could be working on this engineering problem? So because there's not these two different people, right? So this is just, we have the same team we've had before and they're still working at the same rate and they had the same amount of time. So we just, it's uh, what we decided to build was different. It has nothing to do with the, with our audio engineers department's VO budget, which is completely separate. Um, you'll also notice that there's very you'll, there's very little in this expansion ambience or other non-Star Trek actors in here. So mm -hmm. normally you go and you talk to all these other people and stuff like that. There's very, very few of those, comparatively speaking. So that's voiceover budget, too. So right. <laughs> incidentally, uh, Loris, the female Vorta that we saw in the anniversary, is played by uh, Michelle Speck from Star Trek Continues. Mm -hmm. And she'll be coming back. So if you didn't... If you're a fan of Star Trek Continues, um, you'll recognize her voice. She, she also played previously played um, a not cool assassin in the uh, earlier arc, but now she's playing this Forta. So great, and thank you for answering that. I think one of the the big concerns is um, that over the last, I want to say, year or more, that there seems to be a slowdown in the amount, uh, you know, the quantity of featured episodes that have been released is this something that is likely to continue because th this is something uh, that a lot of players feel strongly about. i challenge anybody to pick up uh, an episode from from three years ago and tell me that it's the same quality of what we produce now so yes we've we, we are produced like i as i said previously we've made less because we're making everything better. Instead of doing things in three weeks, we're taking six weeks. Instead of things that we take six weeks, we're taking nine or 12 weeks to do because we're just, we're just making things better. We're making higher quality stuff, a higher fidelity stuff, which I think people expect. I don't think the, 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 the quality bar of Star Trek from nine years ago is, or, 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 three, or, or, or six years ago or three years ago, we can't continue at that quality level. We have to keep doing better and doing better it means doing less. It just does. If we want high quality stuff that we're proud of for consoles and for a 2017-2018 audience, we have to work harder. That's just what it is. And and you don't just get more people magically to do that. It doesn't just happen faster. So it means slightly less stuff. But we always do release at least one piece of story content every 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 season is about every three months and that's been pretty standard for a while so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about um some of the content that's going into the expansion um Shereel abdul on facebook has asked will we see a massive change to deep space nine itself as a player space or will it be more or less the same as the previous Deep Space Nine? Not for nothing, but it, it seemed a lot like what you guys did to Deep Space uh, Earth Space Dock. Yeah, I don't think you're going to say anything as dramatic. You saw the Earth Space Dock. I mean, that was a complete redesign, right? No one mm. wants to see a different Deep Space Nine than we saw on the show. Um, I, I won't get into too much details, but you will see improvements to Deep Space Nine. Can you give us an example of something that that we will notice, or something that you're particularly pleased? Higher fidelity. Made it in? I can say higher fidelity, um, <laughs> shinier, it's just shinier, just better art. Um, you know, More there will glowing be better, plants. There'll be yes, there will be. Um, you can't talk about the instancing, can you? Or uh, the instancing? Yeah, like as like far to as go instancing to Quark's bar, it jumps into another instance to go to the second level. 
Um, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about what what, what they're doing because I know the artists want to make a big, big deal about it. Cool. But but yes, I mean with it, it'll be you're going to see an improvement to Deep Space Nine with an emphasis on IP accuracy. Yeah. So let's get into the new Gamma Quadrant. How big and how engaging will it be? For instance, will there be new duty officer quests available? The Gamma Quadrant will be about the size of the Alpha Quadrant as far as map size. Wow. Um, so um, that's fantastic. There will be. Um, there's not a lot in the IP as far as locations are concerned. Right. So if there was something in the IP, we put the planet is there. Um, not you don't go to every planet. So there's some planets and and, and systems in the, in there that won't really do anything, and they'll be available for UGC. So if UGC wants to make something at this look at any particular location that we didn't ex- didn't explore, uh-huh. or we may come to come back to later in the future, they'll, they'll exist. But we obviously leverage things that were already in the IP, uh, some places that we made up or inferred um, and and put in there. It's not like a tiny sliver like, say, Delta. Yeah. Um, the Delta Quadrant was. It's full. I think it's, I don't know, six by five. Oh, wow. I want to say. That was really six cool. Six by six, seven by six. I don't know, something like that. It's at least six by five. It sounds like as well that you've set yourself up... Um for future proofing basically if you want to do any future content in the gamma quadrant it sounds like you've got the place markers in there already and it, you know it's like all you have to do is create the planet then after that there there's plenty of space i mean from from the ip and from this from the books you can see that most of the activity most of the most of what we know about the gamma quadrant is right around the uh i think it's the engine system Right around where the where the wormhole mm-hmm. opens up, so we know a lot about that area. Everything else is pretty, is, is, is our knowledge is sparse. So some of the sectors we have don't have much in them, but there's something in every sector. So uh, you know every square, every little square in that uh, in that quadrant. So um, lots of room for for UGC to write their gamma quadrant stories, and lots lots of place for not only us to add. Uh, stories in the in the systems we added, but lots right. of room to add more systems if we want to write a new if we want to add a new system somewhere else in there. Nice. I have a very important question regarding um, um, the awesome galactic star chart map wallpaper mm-hmm. that I have on my computer. Um, yeah. So this is the only reason that I'm upset about the Gamma Quadrant because, uh, on the whole, the completionist me likes the fact that we have the four quadrants. Um, but I'm going to need a new background for my computer, Al. You will need a new, you'll need a new wallpaper, yeah. Cause is it's somebody a whole, on it's that? It's a whole new galactic map. <laughs> well, we have a whole new galactic map over here, So we've, and we actually spent, Thomas was spending a lot of time with his UI artist trying to figure out what the best way to lay that all out is. So, yeah. um, and, uh, and, and as I mentioned before, the Gamma Quadrant itself is also a little special because of some of the uh, stuff I talked about as far as the battle mm-hmm. zone. But yeah, you're going to need some new wallpaper. See what we can do. I actually have the discovery wallpaper on my desktop right now. The the, the map that you see, the war map you see from uh, that's behind. Uh, oh, behind nice. Lorca. Yeah. Yeah. With the Klingon. But yeah. So that's what I'm currently using. So let's talk a little bit about ships for expansion four. Now we know already that the answer to whether or not a tier seven was being introduced, uh, Ambassador Kell had answered that via the forums that they, that right now there's no plan on on tier seven ships for X four. So Zobaraz asked. Will the upcoming ship packs for Expansion 4 follow the example of Legacy of Romulus and give new ships only to the new faction? Or will it be more like Delta Rising, where there was a little bit for everyone? 
closer to Delta Rising, there'll be something for everybody. Oh, cool. There'll be some things that'll be, this is a pack, that's, the things in this pack that are, you know, that are meant for Gemhadar faction, and then there are things that can be used by everybody in there as well. Now, that raises an interesting question, because one of the things that we've talked about in the past is that you like to switch between um, recruitment events um, and end game content. And um, yeah, the acquisition last... versus retention is what Yes, like yeah, say. that's yeah. it. And, um, and so presumably we are now in the retention cycle <laughs> of that. Uh, would you say that's true? Um, and what are you doing to balance out? Because obviously you want a little bit of acquisition as well in there. And how are you addressing the, the balance of those two things? Well, this comes to uh, your earlier question about whether or not a um, somebody, a new player, a new player to Star Trek Online can play a, uh, a Jem'Hadar level 60 off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if that answer is true, then then you have acquisition for new players as well as retention for old players. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the advantages of doing it that way. If if that is not the case, then 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 this becomes more of a re- of a retention and reacquisition kind of gameplay than it would be for getting new players. Uh, and then what we're becoming new players is just the idea that hey, come play Star Trek Online because now we have Gamma Quadrant, you know, and all these actors, and yeah. um, everything's new for you anyway. So um, if you're new to it, but we haven't really uh, fallen on a on, uh, uh, decision on that one way or the other, and so as you can see, it's a very complex question mm. on how to handle that. Um, but uh, there, there will be there will be info on that coming soon. And that kind of leads into the next question: is obviously we've had uh, or we're intending to have a level cap increase. Yeah. Now uh, this hasn't gone up ten levels like it did with um, Delta Rising. It's only right. five. Mm-hmm. Um, what what prompted and what kind of things go into your decision making process when you're saying should we raise the level cap? Um, raising the level cap is a really great way to get people to come back to the game. It's a really get really great way to get people to to engage in the game for a long term to get sticky. Mm-hmm. Uh, is what we call it. So because there's there's an incentive to get to level cap. So it is not an easy thing for us to do. Um, as far as the amount of work that both systems and content has to do to make that work. So it's not something we take lightly, but it is something that we intend to do to the game every so often is to raise the level cap. Um, so that way there is more, there are more things to earn and more things to, to, to strive for and more things to, um, to come back for and play regularly to get that. So if I could, I'd raise the level cap very often if I could. <laughs> but, it's, uh, but it's exceptionally expensive to do. And so, um, generally, you can see that as as you know as something that is there for existing retention or reacquisition of, of players who's oh I should come back and and get five more levels. It's something players generally like to do. It is like okay, I've got five more levels to 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 earn, and that is a good thing for everybody. But um, here's the um, the thing that everybody wants to know though about the level cap: what on earth are you going to call it? Uh, we're not going to, like, as far as, are you no longer... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it going like to be Supreme, ad, Supreme Supreme Leader admiral? of... So yeah. You're still, you're still Fleet Admiral, and I'll be honest with you, we'll probably just keep them, like, Fleet Admiral, you know, Fleet Admiral 2, Fleet Admiral 5, Fleet Admiral 6, that sort of thing. I don't think we're going to be changing the name any higher than Fleet Admiral or Dahar Master. So yeah. it'll just be, a, you know, five-star Fleet Admiral, something like that. That could tread very quickly into ridiculous territory. Well, Al, again, thank you so very much for joining us uh, this episode of Priority One to talk about Expansion 4. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you kind of want to give a shout-out to or something that players should be aware of? 
Um, what people should be aware of is keep an eye out for 14.5 and we've got some great stuff coming our way really soon. Um, have we announced anything about that yet? Admiral yeah, Carol? we've announced the Constable specialization, we've announced uh, uh, the featured episode. We did announce we Renegades. Renegades okay, so we did announce Renegades. So really check out Renegades. It's a really awesome episode. It's uh, got a whole new style of gameplay. Um, and uh, and and it's a it's a really it's a really really cool call, uh, callback story episode, and um, so I'm really excited about that one. And of course we've got the new constable spec. So um, I don't think we released a date yet. No. So but that will be coming soon. So so we've got Victory is Life. Really big news. Lots of great stuff coming out there. But we've got something to hold you off until then. So keep an eye on that uh, news really soon. Awesome. Well, Al, thank you so very much for stopping by. We look forward to the next time you can join us here. It'd be my pleasure to come back. We've got lots of stuff to talk about. We can go over and talk about all the stories after this has gone live. Awesome. And all and all the fun actors that we had and the experience with that. <laughs> well, thanks again, Al. Talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Al. Bye-bye. Cheers, Al. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 359's first community question was, How do you feel about fan productions examining the minutiae of new films and shows, etc.? From Patreon.com, Jim DeVico says, Fan films bring them on. They help keep the Star Trek fires burning, which is great for the entire fan base. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Sean Newboy writes in, Very entertaining show, everyone. I enjoy fan productions. I think they add good sounding boards. Now, I have to interject because I think a lot of people actually misread what we were trying to ask last week, which is, so what we were talking about was the fact that we, you know, from week to week, we, you know, things like I examine whether the fake trill spots should have gone under the hairline of that guy in that two minute clip. Uh, you know, we dive into really incredible detail um, and a lot of speculation minutia. about what's coming. Yes, minutia. Um, so not so much, you know, fan films, etc. But, you know, how do you feel about the, the productions like ours or like uh, some of the Star Trek news websites, for instance, that really go into the deep details about about Star Trek and the productions that are happening, uh, you know, sneak peeking into the future. How do you feel about those things? So we didn't get a lot of those responses, but if you want to have a go and answer that one next week, I'd still love to hear your opinions on it. Episode 359's second community question was, where do you remember watching Star Trek? The TV, at your parents' kitchen, after dinner, in your college dorm room, alone, eating pizza in your very first apartment. From Patreon, Jocelyn says, I watched TNG every day in my living room as a kid in the late 80s and early 90s. It was on at 5 p.m., which is around when my parents would get home and start making supper, and they were happy to let the crew of the Enterprise-D babysit me while they cooked. From Patreon, Michael Millette says, First Star Trek was the animated series on our black and white TV. I think it was a 19-inch screen, though. Whoa, that's big that's a, for a black and white. That's big for a, a black and white. That's a good size black and white, yeah. Yeah. Jim DeVico writes in via Patreon. So many memories. I remember watching TOS with my dad as a young boy when I first aired. I remember the family gathering around the TV on Saturday mornings to watch the animated series. I remember making a special trip to my parents' home the night TNG premiered. 
I remember carefully recording each episode of TNG on VHS so I could show it to my kids just in case something terrible happened and the shows never aired again. I remember sitting down every week to watch Enterprise with my teen son. It's been a lifetime. That's awesome. That's, that's a, pretty that's cool. Awesome story. Yeah. That's a pretty awesome story. Yeah. So I kind of turned to you guys to this a little bit because you, you both have children. Don't you watch Star Trek like this with them too? No, my son doesn't like Star Trek. Uh, the reason he doesn't like Star Trek is because I say it's good and uh, he's fully in the mode of anything that I say is good must be lame. Um, right. However, that said, uh, when I've sat down to watch like the original series or whatever, he sometimes just kind of sneaks in and like sit down. Like he'll, he'll he'll sit down and watch the one with the whales with me. Like he totally won't admit that he likes it, but he'll watch it. He uh, just can't say anything. Yeah, just yeah. Have to be quiet. Yeah. 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 Uh, my daughter loves Star Trek partially because I think that her brother hates it quote unquote uh, so obviously she's going to love it and she says she just loves Star Trek um, in reality I don't think she loves it as much as she says she does because she gets a little bit bored by some of the films but she loves the one with the whales like that's the one that we sit down with with uh, the whole family and watch that one together we love that one both my kids like it they, they don't have the patience to go through and like binge it but they know all the major characters and stuff like that and I think they would watch um, shows if I said this is a good one let's sit down and watch it So and, and I do watch them occasionally and we've seen all the movies and my daughter thinks Chris Pine is cute so I mean it's it, 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 yeah it's, it's, it's a generational thing at this point well thank you for sharing Jim that was, that was awesome from Facebook Lori Johnson says I remember getting glimpses of it while it originally aired I was in kindergarten and thinking that Spock looked really weird then they started airing it in the mid-90s after school on weekdays, and I got hooked. I was in the Air Force basic training when the first movie came out, and I had to wait nearly two months to see it when I finally got to tech school. That was the first thing I did when I was allowed to go off base. Wow. Most people go drinking. <laughs> <laughs> That's dedication. Yeah. That's dedication. That's a Star Trek fan. Yeah. Yeah. From Twitter, Star Kicker says, My initiation to Trek was watching TNG at my grandparents' place on Saturday mornings. When it originally aired in the 90s, it was on super late here in Australia, and I was too young to stay up. We also got it almost a full year behind the U.S. back then. I had an aunt who used to record it on VHS for me so I could catch up on weekends. It was the best. And finally, from Twitter, Chris Keen says, when I was about six or seven, I would be woken up by my dad and brought downstairs so that he didn't have to watch Star Trek on his own. We have always watched new Star Trek genres, series, episodes, and films together. So, did you guys answer this question yourselves? Oh, I, I no, I but I can. I, I mean, no, I'm, I don't think we did actually. I, I'm sure I've talked about it on the show before. The original series was on after school on the PBS station. It came out at like like five o'clock, like around dinner time, um, and so those uh, yeah, so it was, uh, waiting for dinner to to get on the table and. It was like the only thing. If I said, "Hang on, mom, there's ten minutes to go left on Star Trek," that worked. Like she's like, "Okay, you know, all right, we'll wait for dinner. We'll wait ten more minutes, watch the end of the the show, and go and come up." And then the next generation came on. I was about ten, and so watched that uh, all through middle school and, and high school. Um, yeah, but that, yeah, that was me. I didn't really start getting into TNG until quite late. Um, it was in syndication, and it was on. 
um, in the afternoons when I got home from school and then also in the evenings it was on twice a day and I watched it twice a day um, <laughs> but it wasn't it, for me Star Trek at the time and what really got me into it was partially the actual show which was great and I was totally there but also like um, I went to a magnet school that was quite far away from where I lived so I was I was on the bus for like two and a half hours every day and my companions on the bus were the characters from Star Trek The Next Generation. So that was me when I was bored, when I couldn't sleep or whatever. I would daydream about being on the Enterprise and things like that. So even even though I wasn't like, obviously we didn't have like tablets, you couldn't watch it on the bus. Like I was there in my mind um, that whole time. You know, I it's funny that you guys asked this question because... On Mission Log Live last week, I talked a little bit about my experience with TNG and how I kind of stumbled upon it uh, in my preteen years, um, and I just embraced it throughout college. Go listen to that. Go listen to Mission Log Live. Well, that wraps up episode 360 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files. Visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. But before we go, here's a reminder of our community questions for this week. What did you think of the deleted scene and the reveal that Section 31 is playing a role in Star Trek Discovery? And what are your thoughts about Expansion 4 for Star Trek Online? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.PriorityOnePodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. And don't forget that every Saturday night, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel, where we review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as highlighting some of the amazing members of the fleet. Each week, we'll team up with you, the viewers, and earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all STO players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And our latest endeavor, Heroes Rise, brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. A very special thanks to Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, for talking with us about Expansion 4 for Star Trek Online. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Ben Churchill, James Skifter, Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, and additional support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media. 
Speaking of Jake, a big thanks to him for assisting us in writing our show notes for this episode and spearheading our social media endeavors. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producers, Navy Boats Lou and Jim DeVico. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. That's our show day. That's podcast.com <laughs> forward slash. <laughs> Are you seeing Wait. another podcast, Elijah? <laughs> Head over to guardfrequency.com. Leave your message at the tone. No. Beep. Leave your comment. <laughs> you made somebody happy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's Steve's face now? What? Uh, Winters, why don't you take this next one about the gamma quadrant? Okay, so let's get... Winters, why don't you just take all the Deep Space Nine questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know, right? What's <laughs> <laughs> the gamma quadrant? It's just some respect around here. <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. Uh, is that Jose? Jose? Joyce? Joss. 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 It's, it's Jocelyn. Joss. It's Jocelyn. Joss. Oh, yeah. well, you're missing half her name. You can say Jocelyn. Jo- okay. She goes Joss. by yo, she's Joss. Yo. Yo, 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 yo. Josh. Okay. Josh. Joss. Jo- Joss. 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 I think it's Joss. I think Jocelyn. it's Joss. It's Jocelyn, Jocelyn, but I think she. But I think when you shorten it, it goes Joss. Why would you do that? Just say Jocelyn. <laughs> just say Jocelyn. I'm gonna go just ahead say, and say yeah, just Jocelyn. Jocelyn. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's what we're. All right, the jury's verdict is in. It's uh, Jocelyn. Okay, here we go. I accidentally stumbled upon the Next Generation in my. Uh, you know, in, in my preteen. I'm sorry, Elijah. We didn't ask you. <laughs> you suck, Kenna. <laughs> <laughs> Ow, I'm stuck. I have a cramp in my leg. Ow. <laughs> you <laughs> suck, Kenna. You're so that, that was that that was hurtful, man. That was hurtful. <laughs> well, she's feeling the pain right now. She's got leg like, cramps. Got, oh so my hard. god, I got such a bad cramp in my thigh. <laughs> I deserved it. I deserved it. I apologize. Making fun of you physically hurt me. Yeah, that's karma is what that is. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.